This is Gideon Sunday. And so I thought a good opportunity to preach on the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 16. The Word of God. What makes this different from any other book on the shelf? What makes this so special? Incidentally, the word Holy Bible, <coughs> Bible comes from uh, the Greek word biblios that means read. And it, like the reed that is grown beside the pond or beside the lake, it's, it's tall and straight. That's what the Bible is. It's a, a guideline, something to measure by. Holy means separate, other, unique. And so the Holy Bible is a unique guideline, a unique measure, a unique straight guide by which to pattern our lives. Why? Because it reveals to us our Creator God and His love for us. 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 13 through 16 says this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received, listen to this, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as that which it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus, which are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all men by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. But verse 13, you accepted this not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Let's pray together. Father, as we come, we've had this Bible in our homes, our whole lives. We have multiple translations of them, multiple versions. And yet, how often do we really take it out and read it and study it and try to live by it? That's the measure, I suppose, of what this book really means to us. And so help us gain a greater appreciation for what it is to spend more time in it and to grow from it and from the message it contains. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I was on an airplane flight recently and as soon as the uh, fastened seatbelts light turned off, um, people began pulling out their laptops and iPads and iPhones and began making all kinds of, you know, different noises and, and whirling and, and buzzing noises. But sitting in the midst of all that was an elderly lady who pulled out from her sack this book, and it was wrapped in a cloth and sealed with a zipper, and she opened up the zipper and pulled out a well-worn Bible. And for about the next 30 minutes, she read that thing and had a pen and made notes in the margins. Jimmy Carter recently... Uh, published a book entitled Living Faith. And in that book, he tells a story of of the Carter Center and all the opportunities he's had to to have relationships and rub elbows with some of the most important people in the world and the good things, the initiatives for peace that he has undertaken. But in that book, 
He says, as busy as he is, no matter where he is or what he's doing, he and Rosalind sit down together and read God's word together for about 30 minutes every day. My question is, why did this woman devote so much time to this Bible on the flight? And why do Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, as busy as they are and, and all that they accomplish in this world, why do they take time out to read this, this book? I think it's because they don't think this is just a word from man, but as Paul says to the Thessalonians, this is the word of God. This is a word from God in which he has making himself known to man. I did a sermon on how God reveals himself to us a few Sunday nights ago. And I said that God reveals himself in creation as we did with Happy Club, the beauty of God's creation we can know about him. And then I said that God revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we can actually know God. But in the Bible, I also said that we have the opportunity to grow and learn in our knowledge of God. So why would you not want to do that? If the God who created you and the God who created this universe, unless you think this is all just one big coincidence, if you think there is a creator behind it, why would you not want to learn everything you possibly can about him as he has revealed himself in creation and in the Bible and in Jesus Christ? I want to talk about the Word of God today and start at it from a negative point of view. I want to talk about what the Bible is not, first of all. I don't want you to see the Bible as a golden idol. The Bible is not an idol. And sometimes I think we get things mixed up and we begin worshiping the Bible instead of the person who gave us the Bible. The Bible, if we aren't careful, can become an end in itself. The word is exactly, is, as a matter of fact, it's bibliolatry. And it's worshiping the Bible as an end in itself. It's not. The Bible is a means to an end. The Bible is the message of the Word of God, the message of Jesus that is the, is the purpose of it. And that's what this book points to. So don't begin worshiping this book. This book is holy, it is separate, it is unique. But it, the reason why it is, is because it contains within it the message of a holy God. And that's who, what he reveals himself through in this written word. It's not an idol to be worshiped. The Bible, and I find a lot of folks doing this, is also not to be used as a proof text. The Bible is not a proof text. Sometimes we have a conviction and we'll thumb through the Bible and we'll find a couple of verses that support what we already want to do. That tell us, you know, we'll take something out of context and, and we will use it to justify our own convictions or our own actions for a certain thing. Listen, you can take a few words or a few verses or a few lines out of the Bible and twist it enough to make it say just about anything you want it to. And that's why you need to take the message of the Bible within its entire context. The message is the Word of God revealing Himself to us and Jesus Christ revealing Himself to us and His love for us. And if you ever get a message that's contrary to that, then you need to go back and see that passage of Scripture in its entirety. There's actually a word for it. <clears throat> I learned at seminary and I haven't really heard since. It's called stickomancy. And it's the practice of taking the Bible and trying to divine God's will by opening to a passage and sticking your finger on it. 
and deciding that right then and there, that's God's will for your life. There's so many dangers inherent in doing that. I saw a Peanuts cartoon where Snoopy was lounging on his back on top of his doghouse, as he so often does, and Charlie Brown got annoyed with his laziness. And so Charlie Brown took his Bible and opened it up to Proverbs 6, 9, and took it out there and read it to Snoopy, and it says, How long, you loafer, will you lie there? How long until you rise from your sleep? And then Snoopy rolls over and he flips a few pages in Proverbs and points it out to Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown reads Proverbs 12.10 that says, A good man cares if his beast is hungry. (laughs) The next frame has Charlie Brown fixing Snoopy's food, saying to himself, I forgot he used to teach Sunday school at the Daisy Hill Puppy Farm. You can take the Bible and twist it and, and get all kinds of heresies and, and get all kinds. I mean, that's what Satan does. He tries to take the Bible and twist it and manipulate it. And, and people have done that. They have taken passages out of context and put them with other passages and basically just used them as proof text to justify their own convictions or some action they've already decided they want to do. Take the Bible in its context in its entirety and justify and see what God is saying to you through it. You know, I have people say, what's God's will for my life? And I'll say, well, let's back that question up a little bit. Rather than specifically asking God's will for your life and trying to find a passage of scripture that tells you what that will is, let's just spend time with God. And in that process, uh, in that relationship with God, you will come into a better understanding of where he wants you and what he wants from you. But just trying to get one specific direction or purpose, I think takes the things out of, out of the entirety of what God wants to, to tell us and be with us. Basically, just be in a relationship and let, let his will for you flow from that. The third thing the Bible is not, it's not just a textbook. A lot of people look at the Bible as a great piece of literature, which it is. It is the greatest piece of literature which has ever been written when you think about over how many years it took to record and how many authors are involved in it and how the overall message of it from all these different authors still coheres and still communicates God's love and God's presence and and Jesus. When you think about what what a wonderful piece of literature it is, There are secular universities that actually have courses on the Bible that teach it purely from a literary standpoint. But the Bible is not just a self-help book. It's not just a textbook about religious life. The Bible has, good night, it has influenced so much literature over the course of the past uh, 2,000 years or 3,000 years since it began to be recorded. Matter of fact, we were in Rotary Wednesday and uh, the speaker at Rotary Wednesday is a professor of English at ABAC, and he has just written a book on Flannery O'Connor, who was a great author from Milledgeville. And, and the topic of his book was the gospel's influence on Flannery O'Connor. And you'll find that in so many authors. The Bible has influenced so many, in, in not even directly, but indirectly, not even um, objectively, but subjectively. You'll find the subtle influence of the scripture 
throughout modern civilization, but it's not just a textbook. It is a window where we can see God and where we can understand what he wants us to know about himself. And not only is it a window that we can see through, but it's also a mirror where we can see ourselves and our own sin and our own lives. And the difference between the window where we see God and the mirror where we see ourselves. And what we need to do to bring those two images more closely together. But it is not just an idol to be worshipped. That's what the Bible is not. It's not an idol. It's not a proof text. It's not a textbook. What the Bible is, it is God making himself known to man. A lot of people don't know how the Bible came into being. The Old Testament came into being over hundreds of years as folks wrote things down under the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit through God. And, and they recorded it in the New Testament also over about a century. Different writings in the New Testament church became collected and folks came together and, and prayed about and under God's inspiration decided this is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. And that's how the Holy Bible came to have 66 books. No fewer, no more. And we see God's hand in all that as, it, as that transpired. God is making himself known because it is truth. And it points to the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible reveals Jesus, who is the truth. Last time I preached on the Bible, Dottie Royal handed me or, or forwarded me something that she had read about the Bible, a quote from Vadi Balcom, who was an African-American pastor out in Houston. He said, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report to us supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies, and they claim their writings are divine rather than human in origin. We take that by faith. I have seen so many lives changed by the message contained in the Bible that I believe it is of divine origin, that it is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So if that's what the Bible is, then what does it do? What difference does it make in my life and in the world? How is it relevant? Why should I actually take the time to read it as busy as I already am. Well, the Bible does a lot of things for us. The first thing it does comes at the conclusion of John's gospel. John is concluding what he's written and he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but why are these written? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God and that believing what? you may have life in his name. That's what the Bible does, is it gives us life apart from God's word, apart from the saving presence of God through his Holy Spirit in your life. You may think you're alive, but you're just existing. You're just going through the motions and you don't know real life, abundant life, until you know Jesus as revealed to us through scripture. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then once that word comes into your heart and begins to take root, what does it do? It changes you. 
It not only informs you, but it transforms you. It changes you from the inside out. I have tried, listen, I have tried to improve myself and better myself by doing those things I know I ought to be doing. And you know what? It doesn't work. I'm a constant failure. But when I allow the Word of God to come into my heart and meditate on it and think about it and allow it to take root, it's like a plant that begins to spring forth and blossom. And that's when real change takes place in my life, change with a power that I cannot do by myself. My favorite story about this is an American hunter who has gone to Africa on a safari, actually. And uh, he's, he's in Africa, and an African chief actually invites him to come and eat with him. And the American hunter, you know, is, is dining with this African chief, and he's looking around, and he sees a copy of the Bible over on the chief's table, and he begins to disparage it. He begins to mock it, and the chief said, uh, excuse me, sir, but do not speak bad of God's word. If it were not for God's word, I would not be eating with you. I would be eating you. Because God's word comes into our lives and transforms us. Not only does it give us life and transform life, it also informs us and teaches us. Because listen, there are so many voices out there in this uh, social culture vying for your attention and trying to get you list to listen and to believe and trust. What do you use? What do you use as a moral guideline? What do you use to measure all these voices coming at you from all these disparate places trying to, to vie for your attention and your influence and your resources? What do you use? There has to be a guideline. And this book is our guideline that informs life. All these voices that claim to bring a revelation from God, are they true? Are they accurate? We were a Wednesday night talking about false prophets. And 1 John chapter 4 says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do not believe every spirit, but test them to see whether they are of God. How do you know if it's of God? If it agrees with God's word. If it does not contradict God's word. You can test it by this read, this biblios, this Bible that is holy and separate and distinct. I was uh, just actually on Google this past week looking up some things and ran across this lady named Nancy Fowler who uh, was is a Catholic in Conyers, Georgia. And she claimed to have visions from the Virgin Mary the 13th of every month. And, and she began to voice these visions and they sounded pretty uh, generic. You know, God is love, love one another, there's a storm coming, you know, these kinds of, of revelations and people began to believe her and thousands began to flock to Conyers, Georgia by the busloads, the 13th of every month for a vision of some kind of revelation. Eventually the Catholic Church, I think, distanced itself from her a little bit. But how do you know if what she's saying or what anybody is saying is true? Does it agree with God's word or does it contradict it? Something happened in Seminary Chapel a few years ago 
that I've never forgotten that really uh, had an impact on me. This preacher was standing up speaking and he had his Bible and he was preaching on the Bible. And he actually opened up the Bible and read a passage from it and said, do you believe that? Are you living by it? And there was no real response. And he ripped that page out of his Bible. And then he flipped over a few more pages and he said, do you, do you, have you read this? Do you believe it? Do you live by it? Do you obey it? He ripped it out of his Bible. He did that about six or eight times and everybody was just sitting on the edge of their seat because here's this man, you know, just defacing the word of God. But then he made a point. He said, you know, there is a difference between the Bible and my Bible. The Bible is God's holy word. My Bible is that portion of God's word that I've actually read and believe and live by. How much, what's the difference between the Bible and your Bible? How much of the Bible is actually yours? How much of it do you actually take and appropriate and read and study? And then he showed us some scrap paper he had stuck in his Bible, and that was actually the pages he was ripping. He wasn't really tearing out pages from the Bible, but just pages from a scrap piece of paper. But I never forget, he used that for shock value. And the point he was making was strong. How much shorter is my Bible from the Bible? And what do I need to do to make the Bible mine? God has given it every word, all of it, to us for our edification, for our knowledge, for our instruction. It contains truth. It sets us free. But how much of it is actually mine, that I have proven that it's mine by having read it and believed it and striving to live by it? It's a big difference. My Bible is a lot shorter than the Bible. Maybe yours is too. And I, you know, I know, honestly, that I can exhort you to take God's word home and read it. And you may or may not. So let me just challenge you in little bite-sized chunks. Let me challenge you to take the Bible and read the first few verses of John's gospel over the next few days. And then get out a piece of paper and write down three things. What is it saying? What is it saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? What's it saying? What does it say to me? What am I going to do about it? And then a day or two later, I might, that might take 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It's not going to ruin your day. <laughs> a day or two later, take the next few verses in John's gospel. What is it saying? What's it saying to me? What am I going to do about it? And I promise you, if you do that over a period of time, that time that you spend in God's Word will lengthen, but it'll seem shorter. And God's Word will be hidden in your heart that you might not sin against Him. It's worth a try. I challenge you to do it. Let's bow together. Father, as we come to this time of decision, make us mindful of all the folks around the world who hunger 
and thirst for you and for your word, and yet the Bible is not in their language. Or if it is, they've never had access to one. And so we pray for the ministry of the Gideons, Lord, that you will take them to those faraway villages where no one else has been and enable them to place your word into the hands of people who long to hear about you. And for those peoples where the Bible has not yet been translated in their language, we pray for those translators that you will bless them in their work until the Bible has been translated into every language and everybody can read it or have it read to them in their own language and hear and believe and have life. Help us not take your word for granted. We've had it in our homes our whole lives and, and sometimes we stick our Sunday school quarterly in it and don't pick it up from Sunday to Sunday. So help us to appreciate the sacrifices that so many people made that we could have this word in our language and we could read and understand. Father, let it take root in our lives and inform us and change us for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.